This is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent, and uh, thank you, Lois. That's great. Um, We're going to think some more about crying out, but first I want to think about um, hospitality again and just think about the kind of curiosity that's necessary for us to be hospitable people. Usually it's just you, you want to try to figure something out about someone. So thanks, Steve, for introducing that to us. I'm going to have you practice something else here uh, for a few minutes. I want you to think about the kind of music you like. That's something I'm wondering about. What is the, not the particular song, but the style of music that you uh, most enjoy? And I'd like to actually have you chat with somebody about that for a minute. So if you're sitting by someone or else, if you're brave, reach out to someone who's in your area and share your favorite style of music. Go ahead. Classic rock, which is like the oldies to me, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It changes over time. I like uh, classic, classic. But yeah, yeah, okay. I do uh, enjoy listening to movie soundtracks, and uh, I think sometimes my office mates get tired of that because I play it on my computer all the time, and uh, sometimes I'll be on one movie track. I play the King's Speech a lot, so they all know the soundtrack to King's Speech. Um, we've been listening to different songs. Uh, songs of Ascent is what they're called. The pilgrims sang these on their way to Jerusalem or on the way up the temple steps. And we're up to Psalm 130. So I'd like to invite you to take out your Bible or your phone or whatever you read scripture on and open it up to the psalm for today, Psalm 130. Before we read this together, I'll offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. The pilgrims have been singing different varieties of songs. One of the songs they sang on the way to Jerusalem was Psalm 122, which has this phrase in it, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is a song of great joy if you dig into it. Another song they sang also, Psalm 126, says, the Lord has done great things and we are glad. And it's another song of great happiness, joy, rejoicing, celebration. A lot of the songs they sang were very happy songs. How many people like to, to hear happy songs? Yeah, we generally like happy songs. Psalm 130 
does not start like a happy song. Here's the opening line. Out of the depths I cry out to you. This is a sad song. There's actually a whole category of these psalms that are called songs of lament. There was a long-standing tradition with God's people that when things were not the way they were supposed to be, when things were not as they ought to be, then they would cry out and they would complain. A, a, A lament is a song of complaint. It's usually a sad song that comes from somewhere deep in here when you go, this isn't right. Psalms like Psalm 42. I'm on a, this is actually the message paraphrase in case you're going to try to look it up. Psalm 42. I'm on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast and tears for supper. This is a song of lament. This psalmist is sad. Something is not right. And so they're tears all the time. Constant crying. Psalm 18. In my distress... I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. Have you ever felt this way? Like something wasn't right in your life and you cried out to God? Fix it. Rescue me. Save me. And you felt like God didn't hear you? Or if God did hear you, you felt like God wasn't listening or God didn't care? This is what leads these psalmists to these songs of despair and depression. They need help, and they feel like God has abandoned them. Now, this leads to a lot of depression, and I think uh, we need to just be honest about this. Depression is actually a very common thing right now. It has become so common in our culture that many people refer to depression as the common cold of mental health. Like, it's constantly hitting people. It's so common that we don't even recognize it sometime when we're feeling its symptoms, which can be like fatigue or apathy, a feeling of not caring. Uh, We don't want to get up in the morning. We don't want to face the day. We don't want to face the family. We don't want to face the boss. We feel like we're all alone in this, like no one else cares. And this is signs of depression. It's so common that we have actually come up with lots of different ways to talk about depression. Um, Very rarely does anyone ever come right out and go, I'm depressed. Usually we come out with something more like, I don't care, or I don't feel good, or nobody cares, or I don't want to do anything about this. There's lots of different ways we can kind of indicate that we're in this mood. I discovered something this week while studying this, that there's actually a thing called Urban Dictionary. I don't know, do English teachers allow for the Urban Dictionary to be used? It's kind of out there. There, there's, a thousand, uh, there's actually 1,116 different ways to say you're depressed in the Urban Dictionary or the Urban Thesaurus. Um, I found it interesting because I actually looked up then how many ways is there to say I'm content. There's just over 100 ways to say I'm content, but there's over 1,000 ways to say I'm depressed. So I picked a few of the top choices for your entertainment today. The first one is Eeyore-ish. I think we got these up here, yeah. As in, that's from Winnie the Pooh. Remember the, the depressed donkey? Yeah, you say I'm Eeyore-ish, I'm blue, mopey. I've, I've heard of those, I've used those before. The next ones I wasn't too sure about. I'd never heard them. Feeling Minnesota. <laughs> I don't know if that's everybody but the people in Minnesota, but gloom lobster, sad daddy, molly grubs, 
water melancholy, feeling like crap. Well, that one I have used and I've heard before. Blargithy. Did that ever show up on a student essay or anything, Blargithy? I don't know where it came from. It's actually a very technical expression. Blargithy is a cry of despair, a cry of depression. Blargithy. So it's actually the new way to say, out of the depths I cry out to you. So shorthand for that is blargithy. So if you're feeling really down later today, try that. It's, it's actually hard to stay down when you say it out loud, but Lord, hear my cry. Be attentive to my blargithy for mercy. That's what the psalmist is saying. So when I'm looking at Psalm 130, it occurred to me that there's actually two, uh, there's blargithy in this psalm for two specific reasons. And that's what I want to look at in the next couple minutes. First, there's a blargithy against trouble. So this kind of complaint or lament or cry is a common lament, common blargithy. It's about trouble, any kind of trouble. If something in your life is not right, that's not the way it should be, you want something better, you can imagine a better world, then you bargethy against it. You say, this is not right. You cry out. This can take lots of different forms. You know, our kids are misbehaving. Our kids make mistakes or screw up. We have cancer. Somebody we love dies. We lose our job. We can't conquer an addiction. Somebody hurts our feelings. Politicians screw up the world again. These are all reasons for us to cry out against trouble. Bargethy. These troubles can be simple, everyday annoyances, or they can be world-shaping injustice. It doesn't matter. Anything that should be right makes us cry out. In fact, as I thought more about this, it seems to me that we're actually wired. I think part of the way that God made us as people is we're wired to react to something wrong in the world. We're wired to react against injustice, against pain, against suffering. It's part of how God made us. This is why there's so many of these blargethies in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms. Psalm 43 Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. This is blargethy against a whole nation of people who are doing the wrong thing. They're not living as they should. This person says to God, rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. That's a blargethy from way down inside here. That's not right. Who wants to live in a world of deceit and wickedness? This is actually how the pilgrim journey started, remember? Way back at the beginning. They were not at peace. There was no shalom. The world was broken. They were troubled. So they said, we're, let's get up and go to the temple. These kinds of cries are deep-seated cries that impact us to the core of who we are or to the soul. Some of the Blargethi Psalms use language like this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? This is angst, this is sorrow, grief, depression, way down to the bottom of our feet. Psalm 77, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me, 
When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. This guy's depressed. He's out of words. Lying awake at night, bothered by something. Trying to get God's attention. God, hear me. Listen to my cry. So what keeps you awake at night? If you're like me, it's usually not the good stuff. Usually the good stuff, I smile and I nod off. It's the bad stuff that keeps me up, worrying, wondering, crying out. A problem that needs to be solved, a relationship that needs to be reconciled, a pain that needs relief, sickness that needs healing. It could be a lot of different things. But we lie awake wondering about these things. And the Bible actually encourages us to Bargethy, cry out. If it's bothering you, if it's on your mind, cry out to the Lord. Cry out and then wait on him. Listen to see if he'll hear. Look for his response. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word I have put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More then watchmen wait for the morning. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. Now the sudden arrival of trouble can sometimes surprise us. I mean, we can be going along in life and yeah, life is good, right? And then something changes. That can be surprising. The other thing that can be surprising then is how quickly we change. So we can be going along in life, everything's good, and we feel good. And in a moment... We're in despair. We're depressed. We're discouraged. It, it shocks me sometimes how quickly I can go down into this depression. The, the blues, like a fog has settled down on me. And I start to think no one's ever had this. No one else is ever going to experience this. No one's with me. I'm all alone. But you're not. And this is one of the messages in the Psalms. The psalmist felt it. King David felt it. He's the one who wrote this. Um... And his instinctive response when this hits, cry out, cry out to God. Bargethy against the trouble and then wait. I think this strategy works for all kinds of trouble. It doesn't matter what you might be facing, big or small. It works to cry out to God and to draw his attention to it and then see what God does. Psalm 130 actually was written for a very specific kind of cry as its main focus. It's a, it's a blargethy against sin. He's crying out, and it's actually more specific than that. He's crying out about his own sin. That's what he's crying out about in this psalm, which might seem a little bit counterintuitive because when we cry out, what we're usually trying to do is we're trying to say, hey, God... I get your attention, God. I want you to look at this. Pay attention to this. Do something about this thing. Now, do we really want God to do something about our sin? Do we really want him to intervene? We really want to draw attention? Hey, God, hey, pay, take note here. I just, mess, I just did this thing. I want you to look at it, God. 
I think our, our intuitive sense might be more like cover up the sin, say, I don't want God to see it. The psalmist says, no, no. We should cry out and ask God to pay attention to our trouble, particularly this kind of trouble. When you have sinned, draw God's attention to it. Now, if this was just a one-off in this psalm, I might go, oh, this guy's confused. But it's not a one-off. It actually is repeated many times in Scripture. It's actually repeated in seven different psalms. There's seven psalms that are known as the songs of penitence. You know, penance is like when I admit my sin. Songs of repentance. Um, psalm 130 is one of seven. If you're taking notes, here's the other six. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, which is the most famous song of repentance. Psalm 102 and Psalm 143. These seven penitential songs are about repentance and they were all written, we think, by King David and they were all written in relationship to his committing adultery to Bathsheba and killing Uriah. So David has just committed a major offense and he writes these psalms and each one of them has a similar tone. Each one of them says, hey God, look at this sin that I've done. That seems like an odd move. Of course, Nathan helped him with this. Nathan called his attention to it and held him accountable. And then David's heart was broken by his sinfulness. He was genuinely sorry for what he had done. He was not just sorry that he got caught. Oftentimes our repentance is, oh, I'm just sorry you caught me. His sorrow is deeper than that. It's down to the depths of his soul. He recognizes that he did something wrong, and in, with a broken heart, he cries out to God. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. There it is. The reason he wants God to pay attention to this sin is because then he can receive mercy. If God doesn't pay attention, there's no hope. In Psalm 69, David says this, I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. And he's talking here about his sinfulness and paying attention to what happens. It feels like he's being swept over by water. He's in the water up to here. He's got, I mean, he's got his chin up and the water is right here and he feels like one more wave and he's going to get washed away. It's going to sweep him. It's going to take him down for the third time. There's no hope. And on top of that, he's feeling for some solid ground underneath him and there's nothing but slippery rocks and miry clay. He feels like he's about to get sucked down at any moment. His sin is going to undo him. And so what does he do? Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's the only cry you can make in that moment. God, pay attention to my sin and rescue me from this now. If you don't rescue me, there's no hope. This is the blargethi against our own sin. The pilgrims, when they started their journey, they were seeking shalom talked about that lots of different ways, but my favorite way is to imagine like fabric that was complete and then it got ripped. Now you've got torn fabric. Shalom is not just stitching the fabric back together with a needle. 
Shalom is weaving the fabric back together so you can't see the tear anymore. The pilgrim, in this case King David, recognizes my sin ripped the fabric and none of my efforts will get it sewn back together. I need God to reweave it and make it whole again. This is why he cries out. If you kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand but in you there is forgiveness. We cry out to God and pay, ask him to pay attention to our own sinfulness so that we can receive forgiveness. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. This is what happens when we cry out to God. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't happen unless we cry out. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I love this word redemption. It's one we're not completely familiar with nowadays, but I think of it as uh, paying a ransom, like paying the price for your sinfulness. We were people who were slaves to sin. Sin had a hold in our lives and it ruled over us. We could not stop sinning. And there were consequences to that. And God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to ransom you. I'm going to set you free from sin. I'm going to set you free from the power of sin. I'm going to set you free from the master of sin. I'm going to set you free because I love you. Because I am a God of forgiveness and redemption. And this sets us free. By his blood, he ransomed people from every tribe and every language and every people, including us. And this is why we can blargethy, cry out against normal everyday troubles and cry out even against the trouble that's caused by your own sinfulness because God is filled with love and compassion. One of the commentaries I read had this fascinating story I'd never heard before. It was about the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833, which I'd never heard of. But I read a little bit more about it, and apparently this act was uh, responsible for abolishing slavery in all of the British colonies in the Caribbean and Africa. And it freed, with one stroke of the pen, about 800,000 slaves. And it set them free on sunrise on the morning of August 1, 1834. So there was a guy, a pastor, who was living in the Caribbean, and he wrote a description of what happened the night before this came into effect. This is what he wrote. On the night preceding the 1st of August, the day the slaves in our West Indian colonies were to come into possession of the freedom promised them, many of them, we are told, never went to bed at all. 
thousands and ten thousands of them assembled in their places of worship, singing praises to God, waiting for the first streak of the light of the morning of that day on which they were to be made free. And some of their number were sent to the hills from which they might obtain the first view of the coming day and by a signal tell those down in the valley that the day was here to make them free men. How eagerly must these men have watched for the morning light? I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption for all your sins. Lord God, we come to you today and we give you thanks. We praise you for your love and compassion and for the way that your mercies are renewed each morning. We celebrate that good gift. We thank you. We ask that by this good news and this good gift, our lives would be shaped and transformed to follow you even closer. And we'll thank you. 